Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1051. The Wizard Guitar Tour is underway in various cities like uh, Brea, California. That's just one night on Saturday, March 21st. And then the weekend after, the 26th, 27, 28th, I'll be at uh, Helium in Portland. And then uh, I'll be at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, April 3rd. The tickets and info for all of the dates, which are populating the calendar throughout the rest of 2020, are at wizardguitar.com. Come on out and see the wizard guitar. But now, oh, and also uh, The Wall, uh, the NBC game show The Wall starts back March 15th, which is uh, real soon. And there's a bunch of episodes and the the show, we taped it a little while ago, but damn, people really figured out how to play the game and it is incredible so i if you are a fan of the wall it is coming back on sunday nights i think at like 7 p.m on march 15th for a while and uh, if you're not a fan of the wall that's fine too there are a lot of entertainment choices out there i don't know how we keep up with everything quite honestly there's just (laughs) i don't want to say there's too much entertainment but there's a lot uh in any case let's talk about you We're going to talk about uh, Cameron Childs, who has emailed events at ID10T.com, who said, I made a thing. It is the pilot episode of Turbo City Gaiden, an animated series chronicling the adventures of the baddest band on the planet, the Mad Gear. Aesthetically, the series takes its cues from the 8- and 16-bit video games. The artist pixelated, the animation is simple, and the music is chipified. The show itself is inspired by countless video games, Saturday morning cartoons, film noir, and The Warriors. It also has been described as Streets of Rage meets Strong Bad. Now that the pilot is out, we're launching a Kickstarter to make a full season. You can find it all at madgearband.com. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you for making a thing. Uh, This episode is Russell Peters. Stand-up comedian Russell Peters, who I don't think actually has ever been on the podcast before. He was on At Midnight. I don't think he's actually ever been on the podcast. So this might be his premiere episode. He's promoting his new Amazon stand-up special, Deported, which, as I just said, is on Amazon. But I said it really fast. I kind of barreled through it. So I'm just going to say it again. It is on Amazon. Uh, Russell Peters, thank you so much for uh, being on this episode of the ID10T podcast, which starts right now. Initiating ID10T 
No babies yet. I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I'll, I'll, I've been, and I imagine you too, because this is just sort of what happens as comedians get older. They just sort of talk about stuff in their life. I've started talking about the potential of having kids in my show, and it's always so funny how divided it is. Some people are like, it's the best, and other people are like, don't do it! Don't you do know? it. So it just... <laughs> <laughs> People that are telling you it's the best are just, you know, that misery loves company, right? <laughs> I know. It is always like a weird club that people are trying to recruit you for. Like, when are you going to do it? And like, hey, come on. Don't do it. It's your culty club. I don't know. I, 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 I you think can't they're... go back from it. <laughs> That's the thing. It's not like. There's no backtracking. Like a bad haircut. I'll grow out. Oh. It's, it's like the tire spikes that go up. Like, you, yeah, tired, you can't not back, back up. up. Yep. You can't back yep. up. That's it. Yeah, children are tire spikes. <laughs> I think that's the takeaway from today. <laughs> that's I, why they say you're so tired. Oh, <laughs> we did it. We did Guys, good. we did it. I start with a pun. That Listen, you are not going to get... I'm not going to turn my nose up at a pun. I'm a big fan. I have... I am... Like, puns, I feel like everyone loves them, even though some people are like, oh, you know, they're puns. But everyone loves puns. Yeah, I'm a big in, fan. In and I'm a father. So you have to. Yeah. Kids love the wordplay. Um, I've, I've been excited to talk to you because you do something that is very difficult to do, which is you're able to shoot riffing in your shows. Right. Which is a which is a I, I've always thought like oh it's really I tried to do a segment of it in my last special and it was like a, a an extra right. where I kind of went into the crowd, but I always find that. It works in a live show because everyone's there. Mm-hmm. Shooting comedy creates a layer of separation. So right. the audience at home isn't caught up in the energy. So like, well, I don't give a fuck. You know, like I'm not there. So I would love to sort of talk about how you're able to make that work and how you're able to weave it in. Mainly because well, it's something that I would really well, wish I could. See, I love talking to the crowd. So do I. Because I get bored. Like after you, you know, when you're, when I, especially when you go to shoot a special, mm-hmm. you got to figure you've toured that for two years or something. Yeah. And now you're just deathly fucking bored of the act. <laughs> and you're like, <clears throat> maybe I can, if I talk to somebody, it'll make me want to breathe new life into the material that I'm right. trying to do. So, right. But that's also the way I write is by talking to the crowd. Yep. You seem like a very structured, intelligent guy. I write, well, that is, you, you've definitely been tricked. I, <clears throat> for, I, and by intelligent, I don't mean you're smart. Right, I mean, right, right. <laughs> I just mean I overthink things. Yeah. Um, it was my last two specials. I very much wrote the way that you do, and a lot of it had to do with just my schedule being so crazy right. that I would sort of get an idea and then just kind of riff with the crowd, see how it unfolds, or talk to people, and something would come out, and then it would become a part of the act. In this special, I really I sit down every morning at breakfast and I just write for like an hour. I tweak, how do you I play do with... that? That's the part I don't understand. Like, you open your laptop or do you use pen and paper? I open my laptop. Um, I use a couple of different programs, a couple of different apps that I use, and I just tweak. You know, like I listen to sets and I go, "That was fat. I can cut that out." You know, like what's a different joke on this? How's what's a different angle on this? So it's just a it's just tweaking every day just incrementally and trying at different shows which also keeps it fresh every time. Right. I used to um I think in the 90s I would record my sets. Mm-hmm. And then I would listen to them once, only once. So here's the thing, I used to DJ. Yeah. I still do. I started DJing in 85. And I and I found through DJing that if you make a mistake in a mixtape, mm-hmm. when I would be making mixtapes, if there was a mistake like a 
I dropped the record in at the wrong time mm-hmm. or the, the mix went off a little bit. And if I listen to it more than twice, in my brain goes, that's the way that's going to go. That's the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that and, and instituted it into comedy. And I would listen to my set once and I'd make my notes back then. I'm like, okay, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. And then I would not listen to that set ever again. Then I would record the next set and try to fix it and then listen to that set once. And that's how I would kept moving it forward because then you don't end up making the same mistakes. No, but sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes, uh, and especially with like DJ, if you have dropped a record the wrong time, there's always there's that Prince thing of like if you make a mistake, do it again because then it seems intentional, you know? Like yeah. sometimes the happy mistakes are like – and that's what I love about riffing with people is that so when things kind of go sideways – that's kind of where some of the magic happens. Oh, yeah. Because you can't – I don't believe – like I can't write something verbatim and recite a script. I can I can write beats. Like I'll write the joke beats and then however it comes out is how it comes out. Because right. I feel like you have to be in the relationship with the audience for yeah. that to You're not married to the words. Not at all. Right. That it comes out different every – you know, like – and also I would imagine for you too, if people saw two of your shows back to back – what they would see are two different shows. Yes. Even though some of the core material is the same, they would have two different experiences based on your interaction with the crowd. Right, and that's how I like to do it. Yeah. And I think that's why, <clears throat> after 31 years, I still have a nice, thriving live business. Yeah. Because they come out and they're like, we saw him last time, and he was fantastic. And then we saw him again, and it was completely different. Yeah. I've had people come out three nights in a row on a weekend because they were there Friday or Thursday, and they were like... I was so good. Once and then they came Friday. It was a different show again. Yeah, so, a different show again. I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and I'm like, was it? Yeah. When I don't know that I'm doing that. I just you're just doing it. It's just natural. Yeah, it's just, just natural. You're just being you. But you have the comfort level on stage that no matter how far off the map you go, you know you're going to be able to pull it back if you need to. Yeah, I'll just ask a leading question. Yeah. Do you ever find sometimes that it's difficult to follow? Your written material, like you've had like such a stellar riff with the audience yeah. and they're so involved. And then all of a sudden you talk about something that doesn't involve them and like, no, uh, talk about us again. Yeah. That was more fun. I've had that. I've had, I've had myself not be able to follow myself. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best and worst feeling at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you can always dive back into the crowd if yeah. you need to. And then I go, I, I would actually address it as soon as it happens to like. Well, that was the written material, which is clearly not as good as you guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but that, you know, (coughs) that type of comedy and what you're talking about is just like being in the purest sense of the moment, in the purest present possible, which I think is sort of what makes it fun. And and I don't know if it – like it's a whole separate skill set to recite your set like a script. And I have respect for the guys that do and are able to have it sound fresh every single time. But I'm like you. I have to trick myself. It's into, like jazz. I guess so. You know what song you're starting to play, <laughs> and, and eventually you're like, I'm in this key, yeah. and I'll probably end up on this, and yeah. I just have to get there. I'll, I'll start with the song, and I'll end with the song, but in the middle, it's going to get a little convoluted. Yeah. Do you ever go on stage and just say like, with like, how broad are your topics when you go on stage and you don't know how it's going to work out? Do you go like, oh, I'm just going to talk about my kids and see what happens. Yeah, I've had it happen a lot. I find whenever I get to my kids, it gets it just falls flat nowadays. Oh, does it? Yeah, because I'm like, eh. I get bored of it because I think about it from the perspective of when I didn't have kids and I would hear a comic talk about their kids. I'm like, I don't care about your fucking kids. Is it dude. just like showing someone your pictures of your kids? Yeah, and they're like, like, oh, yeah. that's so great. Okay, get out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, my kids aren't doing anything spectacular. Right. 
Like my nine-year-old is just a regular nine-year-old. She's, right. She's not an asshole. She's not, you know what I mean? <laughs> she's not like wacky. She's just quiet. Just a chill. kid. Yeah, and my son's 10 months old. What's he going to do? Not, not much. Oh, yeah. oh, just... So he shit himself today, guys. Hey, guys. Oh, yeah. oh congratulations. And then he yeah. ate, and then he shit yeah. himself again. Yeah. He might shit himself tomorrow. Yeah, he wakes up and grabs my nose. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. No. Good night. You guys not. are great. It's, hor- it's horrible. You guys are great. <clears throat> yeah, so... I find when I do go into it nowadays, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to talk about my kids anymore. It's not that I'm trying to protect them. I'm just like, you're you're boring. So (laughs) your career is – you have this very sort of coveted position, I think, of of also having an amazing international business, which is a very tough thing to get, I think, for – at least for American comics because we're so – I think a lot of American comics underestimate their value internationally. Really? Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of you guys don't realize how popular you are in other countries. Maybe. I and, certainly don't. And without tooting my own horn, which I, I, I don't like talking about myself, but I have always been told in all these other countries that I was their first introduction to stand-up. Oh, wow. Like they didn't know what it was until they saw me. And then they discovered other people. Was it just for laughs? Is that was that the sort of was that the No, it was it would have been YouTube in two thousand five when it started. Oh my god. Somebody put my whole act on there and then it just went around the world. Yeah, and that's what made the international base really strong. And so, like, you go to like Mongolia, or you go to Malaysia, or you go to India, and you find out what was your introduction to? Oh, Russell Peters. Yeah, and said some countries they didn't know what it was called; they just called it what that guy did. Yeah, and basically, if you, it's not like you have to get. It's not like you have to go to India and get a billion people to come out. It's just oh, yeah. like a, it's a you can get th- point one, you're good. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And you still you still can have a healthy touring business. So do you when you go to different countries? Do you tour the countries themselves, or do you kind of go to like one hub city and then like everyone comes out to there? Yeah, you go to the majors, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, and then as it starts to spread, you know, like I would go to Stockholm originally, mm-hmm. and then you would end up going to Malmo the next time. So you'd go Stockholm and Malmo. And then you're like, oh, Norway's right there, so let's go over to Norway. And then you start spreading out. It's just, it's just a, just a natural spread. It is interesting because I forget. Like I have some, I have a couple of friends who are Norwegian, mm-hmm. and one of them just happens to be obsessed with stand-up comedy. Like knows, you know, loves Stephen Wright and Hedberg right. and all these. Like, and he said, look, you know, in Norway we got a lot of Western, we got a lot of American stuff. And he said, and I go, well, what's comedy like in Norway? And he goes, well, we're, we're, we're coming around to it. Like there are comedians now, but it seems like if you had the, the time and the focus, which you have, have done, of going around to countries, there's probably a lot of underserviced stand-up countries where Tons. you could like – if even just showing up, even if they didn't know who you were, they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go see this because it's a thing I haven't really seen yeah. before. And then they – I imagine they are very loyal to you because, like you said, they're the first person you yeah, saw. they're great to me. I, I, I have no complaints about it at all. Do you have to – does your set change for not, each not, – no. Not necessarily, no. I mean you might it's, – it's like it's like doing the road here. You'll talk about whatever you saw in their town. Right. You, know? you, you write one joke for them. Right. And then you do your act. But is it, <clears throat> is it pretty much is, – is, is comedy pretty much a common denominator language in the sense that like – Every culture likes having stuff pointed out about it. Like, do, yeah. do, do they take it differently in each other? Is it pretty much the same basic? Well, thing? Here's the thing: is that everybody does the exa- ultimately we all do the exact same things. It doesn't matter what country you're from or what color you are or whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter. We all do the exact same things, but we're so narcissistic we think that we're the only ones doing it. Right, and someone points it out, like, oh my god, yeah, and I'm like, oh, you know, Indian people are cheap, and then. And then, like Russians would be like, "We're cheap." <laughs> and then, you know, you got 
You got the Scottish going, no, we're cheap, Jimmy. And then every everybody thinks they're this. Right. And then my dad, I would say my dad, blah, blah, blah. And they go, my dad, my dad. And then it's like, yeah, exactly what I'm trying to tell you. We all do the exact same thing where there's nothing unique about us. Right. I mean, I remember sort of, you know, coming up in, I guess, what would have was been. Was that Chubby Chris then? That was Chubby Chris then. <laughs> right. Oh, you remember Chubby Chris. Remember oh, Chubby. that's so nice. It's so weird to see you like skinny <laughs> well now it's been like 15 years i know but, but it, it's still it's still so funny thing. well i call I, I had a name for that guy i called him peter hardwick like he was the that was like drunk oh, me. hey I peter him, hey peter but it was uh it's so funny that you remember that guy but i but i often um you know like coming up in the kind of the more alternative comedy scene where you know we'd get really snobby about club comedy oh i know and so oh it, i know all about it and buddy. i look back now and i feel kind of an, i'm like i'm sort of annoyed with myself over it because you know, you get you can say like, look, there's a comic on stage and he's fucking talking about airplane food, and it's like, yeah, but the people that came out to that show don't think about comedy a hundred percent of the time, and maybe that's the first time someone pointed that out to them. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you might consider it like a topic that's you know like been tread on before, but maybe this person has a take on it that you haven't. You know. Yeah. So it's like overcoming that snobbery to realize like, hey, you know, like maybe if we're not so stuck up about stuff. We could reach people that otherwise wouldn't would not understand our whole like super, you know, super ironic form of comedy that is for just people who are comedy fanatics. We're, we're in the uh, uber subgenre. Uh, sub 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 sub. Yeah, we're living yeah. in this uber sub subgenre world now. And, yeah, you know, I always liken it to music, and and you can watch. I like how, you know, in the early 1900s, everybody listened to one style of music. Yeah, exactly. And do you like it, music? I sure yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Here's some. And then you go to the 40s and then like the big band stuff started. We're like, ooh, we're into big band. Yeah. And then rock and roll started and that's where it started to divide. Oh, you like rock and roll. We're into big band. Right. Oh, yeah. We like jazz. And then rock and roll came in and then rock and roll splintered mm-hmm. into heavy metal, glam rock, soft rock, class, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and then disco started and then... Then rap becomes and then like hip hop, and then hip hop, and then hip hop started subgenres. Yeah, everything started to splinter, and everybody started to find a niche, and yeah. that's what comedy did. Comedy, if you look at comedy from the seventies onwards, you know it was like wacky, goofy. Then oh, this guy swears. Oh, hold on, now it's getting darker. Hold right. on a second, what's that all about? Yeah. And then black comedy, white comedy, what's this? And right. stoner comedy, and then it just started to splinter again. Yeah. Oh, Richard Pryor, you can just tell stories about your life yeah. in an honest and authentic way? That's yeah. crazy. It doesn't have to be like super jokey. It doesn't... You have Steve Martin. It can be super... Yeah. Uh, Steve Martin was like extra goofy and wacky. Yeah. And it was hilarious to me. Was he your... He was my guy growing I love Steve Martin. I loved Steve Martin. I loved Cheech and Chong. Yeah. I remember listening to... Uh, somebody brought the 45 to school. Of Sister Mary Elephant. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that sketch? No. It was it, like that's how brilliant Cheech and Chong was that they made a sketch that you had to listen to. There was no film or video of Sister Mary Elephant. Yeah. And it was a sketch, it was a two minute and 30 second sketch on a 45. Wow. And we would listen to it in class, and I remember crying, literally crying, couldn't breathe laughing listening to this thing. And that was also, oh, now, now we're getting into old guy talk, but that was also a period of time where you would listen to the same. Bit or album over and over yeah. and over. And now, you know, we've become such a consumer culture that it's like you watch or listen to Like, there was a time where... I saw it already. Yeah, I, I saw it once. Yeah. Where, like, specials, you know, used to be really special because you would listen to it over and over again. And now it's sort of like a, a marker of, 
the stand-up that you've done for the past year or two and you're about to start over. And it definitely helps. And you have a special on Amazon. But I don't know how special it is. <laughs> but people, in general, people watch it once and they're just like, more, more, more. You know, like there's so many they're things either more there. or they're like, meh, meh. More or meh. Those are the checkboxes. Yeah, my, friends, my friend pointed out that you know, it was like, yeah, in the early days of film, you could just film a horse walking up a stair, a, st- a staircase because no one had done that before. Yeah. That was like mind-blowing. Yeah, look at that horse. Oh, my God. That's a moving horse up a yeah. stair. How'd they do that, you know? and then I'm a seeing point, a horse on the wall, and there's no horse on that wall. And then it was like, then it had to evolve. Then the horse, then they needed special effects. The horse had to be walking through space. And then it had to be all these different, you're right, the subgenres. And so do you think it all kind of recoalesces at some point or are we so far down the tributaries of subgenre culture that there's like no going back it'll eventually tie itself back together you think so it has to you can't stray <clears throat> you can't stray that far from 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 the mother right. you know and 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 not come back to it yeah cuz eventually it's going to it's it's like stretching something it's going to get so thin that it doesn't matter anymore right and it's got to come back to to where where it has some substance again. Yeah, I mean, it blows my mind to think that on any given night, like in the seventies, that you know, forty million people would watch, which is you know, the population was lower back then, so that was like a real considerable chunk of this country were all watching the Tonight Show. Yeah, and they were watching. You know, if a comedian put out a thing, everyone saw it, and now you can still have a big thing, and somehow. Not yeah. everyone knows what it is. Oh, look, I, I've had this is my ninth special. <laughs> I haven't done one um, talk show. I haven't done one. I, I, I don't. I don't know if I was refused. It kind of doesn't. It doesn't matter. Matter. To me it really doesn't. I'm like, what difference is it going to make now? Yeah. I think there's two. There's two shows that definitely matter to do, and that'd be like that could. That 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 would that act like a Carson type of thing in yeah. the seventies, and that would be Howard Stern, right? Or maybe Joe Rogan Experience, right? Those are the two that that people will actually pay attention to, right? Right, right, right. And the good news is I'm friends with Joe. Bad news is I've never done Stern. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I never have either. No, <laughs> no. I thought for sure you would have done it. No, no, I've never done it either. But I think that's why, you know, like when all the comedians, you should really do Rogan's podcast. I don't know if ever he's done ours. Yeah, really, he, he has. Yeah, he, he that's did, impressive he, because he yeah. doesn't do anybody's. This was a few. Year, this was a few years ago, but it, it. I think it's part of the reason why all the comedians gravitated toward podcasts is because we realize, well, there's not people aren't doing comedy on TV much anymore. Um, yeah, when I did eventually get offered like to do like Corden, yeah, they're like they want you to do stand up. I go, I've been doing stand up thirty one years. I'm not auditioning on TV again. Right, right, right. Just, it's nothing just, personal. It's just like I tell stories. Like, to, what's the four minute yeah. chunk? Like, it, yeah. every, every piece of the set kind of relies on the context of the other pieces of the yeah. set. Yeah, it's like uh, here's a piece of the Mona Lisa. Well, which piece is that? <laughs> is it? I the, need to see the whole. Mona is it Lisa. the hand? Is it the eye? Is yeah. it the mouth? Yeah, you need this whole thing. That I completely agree with you. It's sort of hard to figure out. It's great for new comics. Yes, because they're doing seven minute sets in the clubs or two line joke comics yeah like who you can just lift out two two or three lines of jokes yeah. and it's super fast high high joke per minute ratio yeah it's a, it, it works it, it's set up for a very specific type of comic but the good news is that it you don't need to do it so you just keep touring yeah I mean I don't care either way anymore yeah. it's like eh 
Why well, re- it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to make a dent. I was uh, I was just in Columbus and Brian Regan. First came- of all, stop bragging. Sorry, I don't mean to no. bring out my highfalutin words like Columbus, Ohio. But I uh, will be there soon. It's a great town. At the punchline. It was. It was at the. Uh, no, I was at uh, the Funny Bone. Oh, the Funny Bone. I was at the Funny Bone. I'll be at the Funny Bone. And it's and it's in this like super high end, like Grove style mall. There's like all these the Columbus. Yes. I was I was kind of giving the crowd shit. I was like, wait, guys- is that the one where the hotel is directly across the street? Yeah, from the yeah, club? yeah, yeah. Did yeah. they update that mall or something? That mall is insane. There's like a Louis Vuitton store, a Coach store, what? a Burberry store. And I was asking the crowd like, why do you guys have a Louis Vuitton store? Your median house price is one hundred sixty five thousand dollars. And of course they laugh. And then I would meet people afterwards, and they're like. We like to spend money in Columbus, Ohio. They're just going through a period of financial boom, boom, like consumerism. Well, but. because they're everything else is so cheap. Yeah, I guess so. Gas is cheap, house is cheap, cars but, are cheap. But Regan came by after his show was the same night, and he came by afterwards, and we were talking. And by know, the way, Regan, one of the nicest human beings on the planet, and I love him because he just. He doesn't get to hang out with comics at his shows because he's isolated in the theaters that he does. So he just loves to – because I saw like a week or two after my show, he was hanging out with Jackie Cation and Maria Bamford at their show. And he's just such a comics comic and a guy that also doesn't rely on – he doesn't do talk show sets. He doesn't have to. He just – he tours. The people know they're going to see a great show and they come back and they bring friends the next time they see him. Yeah, that's the way to do it. And and that's what I love about – like the purest stand of comedians is that they, in a way they're sort of impervious to this whole like social media culture. You got to put your stuff. And it's like, no, they, you don't. You I just... do it, but it's more out of like, ugh. Yeah. Cause I'm bored. I hate doing social media. I hate doing the Instagram and stuff. Yeah. And it feels like, weird. I, yeah. I, I don't like it, man. It's just people are like, well, you, how are they going to know where you are? I go, I don't know. Find me. <laughs> I don't know what I got to tell you everything. Get out of here. Yeah, and we're, we're taking away thinking from people. Well, not only that, but I think the idea that social media really drives engagement in the real world. I think we're. I think hopefully we have learned like it doesn't. It doesn't matter how much you live tweet a show. It doesn't matter how many times you say on social media you're going to be in a city. A s- tiny percentage of people will be like, "Oh, I saw on Twitter that you." You know, it's yeah. usually you talk about it a hundred times. You do a town, and then a day later, like when you come into Denver, you're like, "I was just there. I didn't oh, stop yeah, that's talking my about it." That's exactly my. A <laughs> man, huge fan. When are you coming? I was you fuck you fucking idiot. I was just there. Oh, how come I didn't know? I thought you were a big fan. You. Dick, <laughs> oh, it's good to get really aggressive with the thing. I you do get a little aggressive. Fucking with them. jerk! How dare you not know you I was coming? In. How fucking dare shit. you? Anyway, thanks for coming. You'll see you next time. We'll see you anyway, next so time. We'll be back show. in a month. Yeah. So, do you want to sign up for the email? Do you do email list at all? Do you do anything like I don't that? Do I? I don't even. I, I I hide out in the green room after the shows too. What What fascinates me is that the fact that, and this I think is antithetical to sort of our modern digital culture, is that. Terrestrial radio does work. It does – like I find when I go into a market, if there's a handful of tickets left and I do a morning radio show that people listen to, it moves that last chunk of tickets. Like there's still real power in traditional media. Uh, maybe for you. Maybe for you. Yeah. No? Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't like doing them because I always feel like those guys don't know who I am. Like most of the time my, – my head is nobody knows who I am. That's how I – that's how my world is. Maybe nope. that's a healthy place to come from, though. Maybe, because in my head, it's like, nobody knows who you are. So you're going to walk into these stations, they're going to stare at you, and then they're going to treat you like a jerk, and then they're going to and then they're going to ask you the fucking most annoying question you can ask a comic. So what can people expect from your show? Well, what's Jokes? a fucking comedy show? What do, you, what do you hope to expect? 
A lot of a lot of tears and sadness. I'm a pioneering uh, stand-up tragedy, and yeah. so I just tell a lot of sad stories yeah. that everyone goes home. So, sad. And you know, but but most people are sadistic, so they laugh at me. You know? <laughs> well, because there, there's some shows that you go on, and that they want you to. They want to set bit. you up for bits, and it's like, Ugh. oh, I don't, eh, it doesn't really. You're like, I'm not trying to do funny, you should ask. I'm just trying Yeah, I'm just trying to, like, we could talk, we could just I mean, riff. I mean, what was it, uh, not funny, you should ask, it was, uh, uh. Which one? The other Byron Allen show, uh. Oh, uh, um, oh, Kicking It? No. Oh, that's what <laughs> Wasn't it, wasn't Kicking It one? No, there was another one before that. Oh, uh, the, oh, uh, Comics Unleashed. Comics Unleashed. Unleashed, is that it? Comics yeah, yeah, Unleashed. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, Chris, I hear you were just in Columbus, Ohio. Interesting. Yes. I was, as a matter of fact. You know what I noticed about gas stations? <laughs> and then it's like, you somehow take a turn. <clears throat> yeah. But I guess it's just part of the... It's lazy to me. Yeah. And I'm lazy. <laughs> so if you're going to be lazy and I'm going to be lazy, we're just going to stand here... St- Sit here staring at each other. But you but you can riff, and not everyone is a riffer. And so that's sort of hard to explain sometimes. Like, we can just talk about whatever, and we'll just make it fun because yeah. we're in the moment and we're having a conversation. Yeah, they don't know how to do that. They go, oh, well, yeah, we should have a talking point. No, we don't. No, it doesn't need to. You don't need that. You don't need that. I can tell you from the other side of it, though, having d- – I worked on radio in the 90s, and it is – you do have to fill a lot of time, and oh, yeah. not everyone can do what you do in a room. And so they just—it's sort of like how you used to when you used to go on talk shows. Even if you were doing a couch segment, it was almost—it was too script. It was too like they're going to say this, and then you say this, and it's like, oh my god, this is like an acting exercise now. This isn't like yeah. You know what bothers me about that is I feel like that all turned turned to that in the nineties because mm-hmm. when you watch old Carson, it's amazing, dude. Like guys just show up and and like be on the show, and they would just talk like John, like a podcast. Yeah, they would just like Johnny made it fun, and like you would say they were genuinely enjoying each other. You watch Dean Martin and those guys, and when they would hang out on on the roast or the Dean Martin show, remember yeah. they had that yeah that late night show. Where yeah, people would just drop in and hang out. And it was just fun. It was cool. There, I've been down some <clears> rabbit holes, <throat> some Carson rabbit holes, and it's been really fascinating to watch. Like. Richard Pryor or Carlin on yeah they weren't funny on they it. weren't funny like they wouldn't really do bits per se like every once in a while they would get a laugh from the crowd but it was just a it was just like a it was a fucking conversation just like talking and at a certain point and probably the eighties that shifted and they're like oh let's everyone's got to do bits and jokes yeah. and sketches yeah let's and, make this better right I, I I've gone down the Dick Cavett rabbit hole lately oh yeah there's a ton of old Dick Cavett stuff popping up on YouTube. He was really sort of the fa- – I think he was one of the godfathers of, like, the podcasting format where yeah. he would just talk to someone. I don't understand him, though, because I never find him funny. He's not trying to be funny. But he is. But he, he – his- But it was, like, really bad. It was like – But he was, yeah, he was just yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. keep the ball in the air and then step out of the way. Yeah. He would sort of, you know, like – you know, poke at Betty Davis, get her to tell a story, and then he would back out of the way. And then occasionally be like, so you, um, so then you, 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 you and Groucho, then, and then like they would start to tell a story, and then he would back out of the way. I think he was just trying to keep the ball in the air. But it was, un, you know, it's uncomfortable to watch him with when he would interview black people. Really? Yeah, it, it's because, you know, the thing is, he, he was like cool with them, and, and he was friends with them. Yeah. And he wasn't a racist by any means. That's not where I'm going with this. But, it was that over because guys because of the time it was in the eighties, he would try to overly project that they're friends. That might have been in the sixties and the seventies. No, was I he watched still him doing with, the show in the eighties. Oh yeah, he was going for a while, buddy. Oh wow, yeah, he was going for a while, like early. Yeah, I saw with Eddie Murphy on there. 
Oh, wow. And then he would try to make like a black joke. Really? Because, no, but because it's like, as if you're friends, you can do that. Oh, he was trying to establish rapport. He, but he was trying to make it look like, yeah, and it would just fall flat. Because he's Dick Cavett. Yeah. And it's like it's like your it's like your dad or your granddad. And you're like, yeah, don't you don't need to try to do that. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it it's kinda it's you should watch it. It's kind of I will. It's 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 uh I'll watch the Eddie Murphy one. A, as they as they say the kids nowadays, it was cringeworthy. Well, I one of the things that I've so enjoyed about Eddie Murphy's kind of like re-emergence into the public consciousness is how much joy he seems to have like he could he doesn't shy away at all from like he seems totally willing to like he tells these great stories about when he first became like one of the biggest celebrities in the world Mm -hmm. he's not afraid to talk about stuff and he seems to talk about it with like a real glee and nostalgia and the fact that he is so em- embraces it so much delights me and makes it so fun to watch him. Yeah, I mean, look, I got to uh, last year. I got to go to this thing. <clears throat> I wasn't invited, but I got to. Go. <laughs> so Tiffany Haddish uh, texts me. I text her a picture of. I text Tiffany a picture of my mom and her. Yeah. Last year, and then Tiffany replied. I said, "My mom loved you." She goes, "Oh my god, I loved your mom." She goes, guess what? I go, what? She goes, I'm on my way to Eddie's house. And I was like, oh my Murphy? Gosh. And she's like, yeah. I go, wow. I said, that's so cool. I only met him for like a second once. Yeah. She goes, you want to come? <gasps> and I was like, are you serious? She goes, yeah, I'll come scoop you if you want to go. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I was with my girlfriend and she was pregnant at the time. I'm like, we're at dinner. And I'm like, hey, babe, can I go, go, go? I'm like, oh, thank God. Because I would hate for you to be a single mother raising this kid for not letting me go to see Eddie Murphy. <laughs> so, so Tiffany picks me up and we go to Eddie Murphy's house and we walk in the house. And I'm just, I'm in complete, I'm numb with like, I can't believe this is happening. Because he was like. You know, I, I I got Eddie Murphy stories from like 1986. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> so we get to his house, we go in the basement, and as we walk downstairs, um, the first person I see is Jamie Fox, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Holy shit!" And Jamie's like, "What's up, man?" I'm like, "Oh, hey, Jamie." And then I turn around, Eddie's like, "Hey, Russell, thanks for coming." I'm like, "Eddie Murphy knows my name." How's he know my name? How's he know my name? Eddie Murphy knows my name. And then Neil Brennan's there, right? And then I hear behind me, "Ah, is this what you comedians always do? You guys just hang out?" And I turn around and it's Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest. And oh I'm like, my god! And I'm like, what, "What's up, Tip?" And because I know all these guys. Yeah. And and then I look at the bar and I see Sasha Baron Cohen standing behind the bar. And then I'm like, "Is this a fucking movie?" By the way, this sounds like an old Bugs Bunny sketch where he walks into a club <laughs> yeah. and like every it's like everyone, Clark Gable, everybody and was there. So Sasha Baron Cohen's behind the bar. Isla Fisher's sitting at the bar. And then I see Bill Hader. Then I see Jimmy Kimmel. Then I see Patton Oswalt. Then I see Tig Notaro. Then I see Ali Wong. I see Jeff Ross. And then I hear behind me, oh, shit, man, Russell Peters. And I turn around and Chappelle's walking down the stairs. And I'm like, what the fuck have I walked into? By the way, this sounds like the greatest open mic. Like, did it just like you, the show of everyone getting up and doing t- yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. And then and then I'm standing there and I see this black dude with blonde hair coming down the stairs. And I go, is that Cisco? And then it was like, no, it was Chris Rock. For some reason, he had his hair dyed blonde that day. <laughs> really? <clears throat> yeah. And I'm like, what? What is this? Where am I? What world am I in right now? Everyone else must have had the same surreal experience. Yeah. I mean, Kimmel talked about it one night. Oh, actually, matter of fact, Kimmel talked about it when Eddie Murphy was on his show. Yeah. And he was like talking about everybody was there, but he failed to mention me, which really bothers <laughs> me to this day. 
That's how fucking memorable I am to him. <laughs> and what happened? Like, um, did you? So, so then uh, I'm just like I, I went to go get a drink, and then I was like, I got a tequila, and then I go, "What am I doing?" I put this down. I go, "I don't want to be numb. I want to remember of every course. single part of this night." Of course. So I'm and I'm not saying a word to anybody because I'm just literally like gobsmacked. I'm like, I I can't believe what I'm in right now. Right. And then I'm standing in like a doorway like this, and uh, and it's Eddie, Chris Rock, Jamie Foxx beside me, Neil Brennan, and we're standing there talking about comedy. Oh my god! And they're like, "So when are you gonna come back?" And and uh, and I was like, "I don't know. I got like five minutes, Ben. You gotta really, you know, you guys really work hard at it." And and then and I'm like, I'm literally not saying a word, and I'm like, I can't believe. It's not like, you know, sometimes when you're standing, when people are talking and you can get the vibe that somebody's thinking, oh, what's this guy doing here? Right. You know what I mean? Do you it think was, that's the real vibe or no, is that there just was, in your head? It's a real vibe, but that, that wasn't happening. Oh. It wasn't, that wasn't the vibe. I was like, that's why I stayed. I was like, this is so cool. I was not finding those situations like you, because, you know, your brain and it's an overthinking kind of a thing where you're like, say something cool, say something cool. And then there's a gap and then you say something like, comedy's my favorite. And then everyone's yeah. like. Oh, cool. That's, that's exactly, honestly, that's exactly why I didn't open my mouth. Because I know what a fucking idiot I am. And that's exactly what I would have done. You should come back and do blah, blah, blah. Stand up is fun. Yeah. You were so good at it. Have you been to the Laugh Factory, Eddie Murphy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gotta go. Yeah. 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 And so, I, and I had like a great story to tell Eddie, but I didn't tell him that either. Yeah, sometimes the... It's like you, you're you going to kick yourself either way driving home. It's either going to be because you said something stupid or because you didn't get involved and you didn't say anything at all. Yeah. So maybe it's like how do you kind of just let it go? The cool, the cool part of, what, of this whole thing other than everything um, was like Tiffany took me there. But then Tiffany got so tired she fell asleep on Eddie's couch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh. Well, I don't want to wake her up like, hey, Tiff, can you take me home? Right. And I and it's like three forty five in the morning now, and I'm like, I don't want to be like, hey Eddie, can I get your address for an Uber? <laughs> and then I'm like, and then in my head, I'm like, all these scenarios going through my head. I'm like, am I gonna sleep over at Eddie Murphy's house? Oh my god, Eddie I Murphy, go, do you have any pajamas I could borrow? And I'm like, am I gonna live here for the rest of my life? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you start uh, your your brain goes uh, mental because you're like, I guarantee you, Eddie Murphy is like, oh, I have pajamas. Like he seems like the kind of guy that would just give you. If you needed pajamas, he'd have a set of pajamas. I to feel give you. like he's the kind of guy that would smile and be like, "Hey, man, I'll see you later." Okay. <laughs> but thank goodness Arsenio was there. Okay. And Arsenio goes, "All right, y'all, I'm out." I go, "Hey, Arsenio, which way? Which way are you going, Ars?" He goes, "I'm going down to the valley." I go, "Ah, perfect. Can I get a ride to Ventura?" Oh, great. Uh, he goes, "Yeah, yeah, sure." I go, "Just drop me at the corner, like uh, Beverly Glen and Ventura. I'll, I'll take an Uber from and there." And then you just got the Uber from there. And then so he takes me. We start driving. I go, oh, "Here, right here. Just pull over." He goes. I'm not going to leave you on the fucking corner of Beverly Glen and Ventura like four in the morning. <laughs> I go, well, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to Woodland Hills. I go, uh, that's perfect. I'll go there and then I'm a mile away from there. Yeah. He goes, I'll just take you home. Oh, that's nice. And I was like, wow. So Tiffany took me and Arsenio brought me home. There's no better way to bookend that story. But this is what's great. And it's sort of like what I was talking about with Brian Regan too is that comics are always comics. Yeah. And they're always going to want to – talk about comedy, understand it, and they're all, even with like Eddie Murphy saying like, oh, I don't know, I only got five minutes, they're always sort of looking over the fence like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I should do that, so I'll let you, like, there's still that sense of, 
never feeling like you're... You never the, feel complete. You never feel complete. You never feel comfortable. You always feel like you're missing something or you don't have enough of something. And and it's it's a bummer, but it's also charming at the same time. It, it also is what keeps us moving. Yeah. And, you know, I think I went through a whole little melancholy phase, maybe to the latter part of last year. And I started really considering leaving L.A. I was like, I'm going to leave. Fuck this place. I hate it. I'm going to yeah. go. I'm going to move to fucking Texas or something. Yeah. I was like, think. I literally started looking online. I was like looking at Nashville. Looking what at, was it? What do you think it was? I don't know. You just go through. You get in your head. You get in your head, and then you're like, I don't know. Fuck this place. Nobody cares. Nobody's even going to notice if I leave. You know. But you, which is funny because it, if you look at sort of the empirical data, you have this really great touring business. People do know who you are. They do come out to your shows. It is a really hard thing to to convince people. To put on pants and leave their house and park their cars and sit down and pay a lot of money. And, you know, like, that's a very hard th- – and focus, that is a really hard thing. It is hard to sell tickets. You know what it was? What? I hadn't gotten back out on the road yet to oh. start working on my new act. Okay. And I think I was so scared of not being able to come up with anything. Got it. And I was so away from it for, like, a couple of months Yeah. that I, st- I just got in my own head. And yeah. then And now I literally am in a place where it's like – Fuck it, I don't give a shit anymore. Right. I don't want it. I don't care about it. I just I'm loving what I'm just loving doing stand up. It's my thirty first year. It's this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. It's it's fine and it, it's exactly what I wanna be doing. And now I've I, I guess when you change your inward energy, your outward energy changes too. So Of course it does. And then everything that I thought was you know the problem is not the problem and everybody turns out they're like hey man i'm like oh okay things are okay guys it is funny how much you you're convinced of a certain reality yeah this is totally it and and then you kind of start finding reasons without realizing it to build that case to strengthen that case oh yeah yeah you can and then i started realizing that i wasn't even taking heed of my own advice and i was always like you know i always tell people when you when you're in life there's two roads there's the negative road and there's positive road why would you take the fucking negative road right and i started going down the negative road and i go what's a hard road to get off of it is a hard road to get off of and you can you can build either like once you start down either path you're gonna find reasons to support that no matter what you start laying roots down absolutely And it is hard to get out of because you kind of have to backtrack a little bit to figure out how to get to the other one. But yeah, and I'm one of those people that doesn't matter what it is in life. I don't like going. Back. I don't like negative distance. Right. <laughs> you just like we're, we're this is the way we're, we're going. motoring forward. I left something at home. Too yeah. bad. We're yeah. not going back. Hey, should we ask the government director? Fuck that guy. No, no. <laughs> I'm not asking anybody for nothing. <laughs> Why? It just doesn't. It's not the way things are done. That guy's gonna think I'm a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important because. I think in most people's lives, whatever they have convinced themselves about their reality, a percent, at least a percentage, if their perception of that were altered, would change the kind of – and you're right. It changes your outward energy because you can tell when people have inward energy. Right. And you can tell when people are comfortable and you can tell when people are trying too hard, which is, you know, like – Well, that's what I was also afraid of. Am I going to be out there trying too hard? Am I going to look desperate? I was – I didn't know what the fuck I was thinking. Yeah. My my whole team was worried about me because they were like, something's going on with that guy. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with me. Leave me alone. But it's just normal. I think it's a thing that everyone everyone goes through. I think, you know, it's I, I guess, it, yeah, it lets you know that you're human. It's the, it's the life equivalent of, 
you talk to someone at a party, you leave, you're driving home, you replay the highlight reel from the party, you go, oh my god, I made this one, con- I made this one joke to someone, and they just split up with someone, and they're going to be upset because they thought I was making fun of yeah. relate. And this, oh my god, <laughs> oh they hate me, oh my god, that's why. They- and next <laughs> time you see him, tree, I'm Bang. so. Sorry. <laughs> then you're dead. <laughs> the next time you see him or talk to him, <clears throat> I'm so sorry about that thing I said the last time. That was, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like you've built this whole case against yourself that what. I've done that with Chris Rock. I I thought I said something really stupid to him. And then I thought I said something really dumb to his girlfriend. And then I was like, fuck, this guy hates my guts now. Yeah. And then I was like, I called Tony, his brother. I'm like, Tony, can you uh, text your brother and tell him I apologize if I was, (laughs) uh, you know, the remotely, uh, you know, uh, inappropriate that night or whatever. And he's like, what the fuck did you say to him? I go, I don't know, dude. He goes, man, my brother won't remember shit that you said to him. I go, are you serious? He goes, I'm pr- I promise he won't remember. And, I, and then I called like his cousin, Sherrod Small. I'm like, Sherrod, can you? And he's like, no. He's not going to. No. Nobody. And I called Jeff Ross. I go, Jeff, can you? He goes, yeah, I'll mention it to him, pal. And I'm like, no, you're not. Nobody's going to say shit. Yeah. And, but, then, <clears throat> but then the other thing is that you might make a thing out of it by trying to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really overthought it. And, and, it's and I saw Chris and everything was normal. Totally normal and, and fine. Like, oh, okay. But that's just a good lesson for like the stories that we tell ourselves are not like whatever story you tell yourself might be true because you make it true, but it doesn't necessarily make it an objective reality. Right. It like can, when I did your game show. Yes. And I won. Yes. I was sure you would remember that. <laughs> can I tell you what happened with with that midnight? We did so many episodes of that I show. Know. I know. I know. But, and, but but in my head I was like, there's no way he won't remember that I won. I I've run into people that I was like like and it's more actors, not comedians, but actors. Like, oh my god, you know, you should do at midnight sometime. And they go, yeah, I did it, and I had no because you live so much in your short term memory, right? That your brain just scoops out and you start over the next day. Yep. You know, with six hundred episodes, like I've started to go back and watch some of the hashtag games. Like, oh, these were really fun, and I had literally zero mem. Like, it's like I'm watching someone else's show and a whole new thing. Yeah, it's like when I meet like a celebrity that I may have. Uh, <clears throat> Like interview and I had a talk show back years ago, and I and I'm like, hey, how are you? And they're like, don't remember me, and I'm like, wow. And I'm like, fuck that person. They think they're cool. I never, I don't. That never bothers me because I, I do understand like, especially a lot of times when they're in that moment. There, it could have been like one of five things they did that day. Oh shit, I know now. Yeah. But, but at the you time, know, you take it real at personal. At the time, you're, you're, you know, again, that was – that's a different Russell again. Where yeah. you're like, I was over – you know, you get hypersensitive when you're when – you're, and to me, it's a sign of weakness. I'm like, you're not a weak guy, Russell. Why the fuck are you acting hypersensitive? Well, not only not only the hypersensitive thing, but I think it's it's very difficult for – it's very difficult for someone who works in, a, in the creative arts where there's kind of a – a relatively non-linear reward system. Like, how do we know we're doing a good job? So we set up all these things that kind of feed our ego because we think, oh, well, if that's being fed, that must mean that I'm doing it. If people remember me, if people come out to my shows, if I get invited to certain parties, if I get asked to do certain things, that is a sign. But what we really just want to hear is like, you're enough, you're complete, you're doing okay. Which, yeah. by the way, we could just tell our, we could just accept with our present we circumstances. We, we look around, we should be able to look around us and go, Oh yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, we're Things doing good. good here. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have to get a job. I where'd hate. You, where'd you grow up? 
well, primarily, well, I've been in LA since 88, but like I grew up in Memphis and I lived in Denver for a while and Florida. So would you say you're a Tennessee guy? I, I, yes, I was born in Kentucky, but I always say I'm from Tennessee because I spent a considerable chunk of my childhood there. I do like Tennessee. Yeah. I've never been to Memphis, but. <clears throat> Memphis is a cool town. Nashville's great. I love Nashville. Everyone loves Nashville. Memphis is cool. It, but there's Comedy hasn't really like embraced <coughs> Memphis the way some Neither other cities. Neither has English. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Hi there. How y'all doing? <laughs> my my stepmom's great. She's from Mississippi, and she adds syllables to words that don't have extra syllables. Right. There's just like a drawl down there where everyone just sort of talks like this down yeah. there. But it's uh, so I do consider myself Southern, but I've been in LA for you know thirty. Yeah, years. Yeah, I would never have guessed Southern in my no, life. No, no, it doesn't. I don't feel. I mean. I feel a, a connection to it, but because yeah, you have memories, I have memories. Where Where did you grow up? Toronto. You grew up in Toronto. Yeah, Toronto's a great place for comedy too. Especially, I started in '89, so <clears throat> it was right as the boom was ending. Yeah, so I that was the best time to start because nobody cared about comedy. Nobody was paying attention to it. Make all the fucking mistakes you want in the world. Nobody's looking at you. Yeah, yeah. I always <clears throat> found that I think it was really interesting that. You know, Montreal's JFL was like that was like a that was that's such a badge of honor as a new comic to go mm-hmm. do Montreal. And I've done Montreal a bunch and I've had this experience and I've seen other comedians have this experience. There's just enough of a cultural difference that it's for a new comic. It can be very jarring mm-hmm. uh, to have like an audience of uh, Quebecois. Mm-hmm. And you're doing like these American jokes that are real talky and don't have the same references or even the same cultural language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like you can have a rough set and then a juggler gets up and fucking destroys. And oh, like, yeah. God damn. So I always found it an interesting place for new American comedians because and even for Canadian comics, because it's because it's a, it's its own bubble and it's a beautiful city and it's a wonderful culture, but it really is its own bubble. And if you're an outsider. You're an outsider. The first time I did it was in 96. Yeah. And uh, that was the first year they did this this show called Comedy Night in Canada. Uh-huh. And I was you ha- I had to fly myself in <laughs> and put myself up. But I was like, it's just for laughs. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then they put me on these Comedy Night in Canada shows. And they I was the only non-white person on these shows. And they put me on first both nights. And I was so fucking mad. I was like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? You can't just bury me into the middle of the show or at the end. Like, you got to throw me on. Like, it's like, let's get rid of this one. Oh, man. I took it so personally. You know what I mean? I was like, because growing up in Canada, I dealt with a lot of racism. So I was like, they're doing this shit again. They're fucking with me again. Right. Do you think, do you think that's what was happening? Or do you no, think- I, don't, I don't even think they noticed. They were just like, I don't know. Put them on there. Because my name, you're not going to know by my name. You're going to see Russell Peters. And you're like... Oh, whoever that is, put that put that guy on first. Right, right, right. And so was there. It doesn't an, say Russell Peters Brown. Was there was there an expectation about the type of comedy <clears throat> the audience thought you were going to do? No, I don't know what it was. I, I I mean I I did okay. Yeah, I did. I by no means did great. And and Mike uh, Mike McDonald was hosting. Uh huh. And he goes, "How you feeling, kid?" Backstage, and I go, "I'm really nervous." So uh, you know, I'm p- pretty nervous. And then he goes, well, "What do you want me to say about you?" I go. I don't know, because I'm from Toronto, I guess. Uh, I don't know. And then uh, he goes, first comic, backstage. Hey, really nervous. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> Fuck, fucker. Maybe it's better that, maybe if he had said you were from Toronto, maybe the crowd would have turned on you. Yeah, but, you know, I, t- I was just, you know, you're not, if you're not in this business, you were, I don't know if you came around this or if you're the only one in your family in this business. Yeah, I am. It's the same. You don't know what to do. Right. You don't know how to act. You don't know how to. 
I, I was me- I'm still meandering my way through this fucking business. Sure, but but ultimately, I feel like the thing that we arrive at is when you can peel back all the layers and just be the most comfortable version of you. That's when the magic happens. But fuck, that's really hard to get to that place. Oh yeah, yeah. And like you got like the people like Brad Pitt. Nobody in his family's in the in the business, but you know he's beautiful, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's a, yeah. it's you know, and you got a lot of these people that they're just really pretty people. So being a beautiful human being physically is like being famous your entire life. People treat you differently. So what? So because I, I feel like there's a lot of different identities at play because you have the your the the cultural background that like your your ancestry mm-hmm. but then your canadian cultural background mm-hmm. but then also like a connection to america versus like also performing in uh, montreal and having that so like where do you do, do, did you eventually just sort of feel like you know what i'm me and i'm all of these things yeah. and none of these things at that's, the same that's, time that's where i am at now and like i think that's why canada is so loyal to me because i always Number one, I always say I'm Canadian. Mm-hmm. And uh, number two, I always uh, – it's at a point now where when I am when I go to events in L.A. or at you know Hollywood party type yeah. of thing, people are like, hey, Russell, how long are you in town for? I go, oh, you know, 14 years now, you fuck. What do you mean how long am I in town for? I've been here a long time. <laughs> I feel like uh, one of the angriest kind of – Threads from a joke that I uh, that I saw was I was I was doing Fallon a few years ago and I mentioned that I was going to go to just for laughs and I said I'm going to Montreal or as I call it practice France and I just thought like that was a stupid throwaway joke and oh, people yeah. got really mad like they got people re- get mad over anything yeah like, nowadays, like the, dude. The, the comments in the thread I had posted it somewhere <laughs> and they were like. Well, America sucks for this. And I was like, I'm not saying anyone sucks. I was just, I was just, I, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I wasn't trying. Who to- used to say uh, Canada uh, where um. Where America's hat? Oh, God. who was that? <laughs> I don't remember. That sounds familiar, but I can't remember yeah. who Canada, that was. Canada, where America's hat. But I do find uh, comedy in Canada to be a wonderful experience, and it's Toronto, Montreal, uh, Vancouver, uh, Edmonton. Yeah. Like, there's so many great places to perform there, and I find the crowds to be engaged and warm and welcoming. Because and you're fun. famous to them now. Oh, is that really? Yeah, try coming up in that. Okay, oh, it's a bummer, buddy. Was it really? That's why you get good comics out of Canada because it, the audiences are difficult. Yeah, they do. They do not want to laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, they literally have them until make me fucking laugh, boy. <laughs> so it is a little bit of a battle. Yeah, they're like make me laugh, and the, they pride themselves on being miserable in that respect. But isn't that kind of a gift in a way when you're coming up? Because if you can figure <laughs> out how to navigate that, well, that's what makes the great comics because we know how to we know how to cut through that bullshit, and then once. Once you crack the code, you don't get that anymore from them. Right. You know what I mean? Once, once, once you figure out, oh, I know, I, I understand that that's what you're trying to do, but here's what I'm going to do for that. Right, right, right. And, uh, and, and then it goes away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're a new comic, that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. When you're coming up, you're like, Ugh, make me laugh, boy. And so with the first time you went to Montreal, what happened? Like, did it lead to – because that was – That led to nothing. Okay. It led to me being in debt for the flight, the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Me me thinking, you know, and it was 96. That's when they were giving out deals left, right, and Like, left and right. Yeah. So you're like, I'm going to Montreal. I'm going to get a deal. Yeah. And I – dude, I had – oh, my God. I said the dumbest things to people trying to be clever. I I, I had no clue. Do you you think that – the sort of like the the blessing and the curse of the comedian is the overactive 
kind of like like if we didn't overanalyze everything, do you think we would sort of lose the comedy power? We would lose something because, but it, tur- it turns on you too. It turns on yourself. You know what it is? You it's we're the, we're still the same kid that was like, hey, you're not allowed to say that, okay? Yeah, and you're like, but why not? <laughs> I'm gonna say it and watch. Nothing's gonna happen, right? And then in my head, I was like. That's probably say that, and I'm like, oh, "Fuck, made you say that?" But do you feel that that power of like, do you get more control over it as you get older? Where you, well, yeah, I mean, again, you go through these. You, you're, you know, you're a snake. You're always shedding your skin. Yeah. So you, yeah, you eventually figure out. You, you, listen, we don't really fully. Nobody really fully figures out this entertainment business till we're right on our deathbed. And right. then we're like, ah, oh, oh, shit. Can I just have ten more years? Yeah. Just, just give me five more minutes. Don't give me the light yet. Just give me five more minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, you're literally running the light that you're supposed to walk through. I'm getting the light. Yep. I'm going to yep. – I'm just going to close with this. Yeah. Uh, this didn't go the way I planned. So when you said, you know, you went through this period of depression, this dark period, you didn't know what you were going to say, which is so funny because <laughs> – you know, you had like eight other specials, I imagine, that proved that, yeah, I, you know, I keep finding stuff to say. And you also know that you can riff. What, what, how, much, how much did you have when you went on stage at that point? I start with zero. You start with zero. and you Literally start, start with zero. And it's because <clears throat> I don't really know what direction I'm going in. I don't know what I want to talk about until I get up there. And you think that's your body? Trying to process and purge whatever sort of stuff. No, you're that's going my brain time. going, thinking too much. Then you get on, you just do it. Right. It's like, oh my god, I can't swim. I can't swim. Oh, you get in the pool. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, tr- I'm good. Treading. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry, I'm, guys. Sorry about the panic. As much as I riff on stage, I've never. I've had those shows where I go, you know what? I'm just going to go up with nothing and then just kind of see if I can bail myself out. And usually the answer <coughs> is no. Like I need a base of material to at least be able to go back to when. When the riffing stuff isn't working, but I, just to go up on stage with nothing and just kind of see what pans out, like that is not. I, I mean, it trips me out and scares me, and and honestly, it freaks me out. But I, I don't think I could do. I, I and I want to. Like when you say how you sit down and you write and on yeah. your laptop, I'm like, I envy that ability to focus like that. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you have kids, <laughs> you throw your laptop out the window because because they will. It's not going to work. Yeah. And uh, what was, for you, what was different about this special? Did it feel different? Like, was it, were you like, oh, I think I'm really, like, because I just think of us as these, like, blocks of marble that we're just constantly chiseling and chiseling mm-hmm. and chiseling and chiseling away at until it becomes this very kind of detailed thing. <clears throat> Do you- I, I like this new special, um, but I, I've seen a lot of people who hated it online. Oh. I've seen people hate it or love it. I haven't seen anybody going, eh, it's all right. So is that good then? Because it's not – because if something's polarizing, is that better than it just like people going, meh? Yeah. I mean it's better than meh. Right. You know what I mean? Ultimately. But obviously the, the haters are louder than the sure. than the people that enjoy it. Sure. You know, the manager usually hears about the complaints, not the compliments. So – and how has <laughs> – just because as we are emerging in all these different platforms, Amazon, which special is on, versus like <clears> – <throat> It's like I don't even know in three years like what the comedy platforms are going to be. Is it going to be Amazon, Netflix, and HBO, or is like someone else going to like? I don't even. I, know I what like comedy- to think of myself as a pioneer, and I've got an idea for the next one. You do. I got an idea for where it's going to go, in- and, and I'm working on it from now. Okay. Yeah. Is it like a, a different, completely di- a new platform? It's not a new platform, but it's a new way of doing it. Okay. 
Yeah. So uh, it's it cuts out something. I don't want to say too much. No, no, so. you don't have to say yeah. too much. But just but just from someone who you said sort of got your start because in the earliest days of YouTube, that was a whole new thing mm-hmm. of realizing, oh, these things that we're putting on the internet are not regional. This is the Earth's internet. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even put it on there. Someone else did. Yeah, because I'm still completely computer literate to this day. But That's you- why when you say you write on your computer, I'm like, how do you do that? Like... <laughs> Just a like I, I would literally just be sending. I'd have to send emails to somebody in order to figure out how to send something and save it. I, like that would be like, hey Chris, and I would just, hey Chris, ignore this email. This is just me writing my act, and then I would type, and I would have to send it to you just so I don't lose it. In the twenty-two years that I've been doing stand-up, the it's only been the last few that I've done computers. Like before, it was just <clears throat> I had notebooks. Yeah. But then it just started like the cross-referencing and the oh, where was that and flipping pages and then having to bring a notebook around right. and being terrified to lose it and you know um I, I just I finally just turned it over to digital and and I just got used to it. Yeah. It's not what I would prefer to do, but it just is easier. Does it feel like you're not as connected to it when you're doing it through the computer? No, because I um I my brain has just found a way to connect with it in a way that that I Yeah, can, I mean you relearn how to. Yeah. Well, and I also I like I create file history Mm -hmm. so like you know i'll type out you know like jokes that i want to do for you know the thursday night in a show and then the friday i'll go through and make edits and change stuff and then i'll save that as that file for that date Mm -hmm. so like i have a file history of that really kind of walks through the evolution so i I don't i don't even know how to do that (laughs) i literally do not like when i used to write out my act um, very early in my career, I would write it out literally. If I said, um, I would write, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, I, I wish I really had those notes still. I would love to find those notes. Well, it's just sort of the, the, you know, there are guys like I need to write stuff down to remember them, but there are the Chappelle's of the world who are just like, I've never written anything down. Yeah. It just all, and I've seen him over a week. I was at the punchline once and he was also there. And so they just he just kept headlining and I opened for him for a series of shows like 10 years ago and I watched him start with this kind of blob of a conversation mm-hmm. that was still funny but then over the next like 3 days just watch it get whittled into this fucking sculpture of a yeah. piece and he never wrote any of it down he just remembered it yeah. and that and, and and it was we're talking about like 3 hour sets yeah. and somehow that's just how his brain works and I was so in awe of it because mine doesn't I was like I would have to be like wait what did I say yesterday oh I wrote it down okay great yeah like I have my assistant watching me and be like hey the way you did it tonight was the way to do it you know <clears throat> which is helpful yeah because in a way that's... but the idiot will text me while I'm on stage <laughs> do you know what I mean like like my phone's right there and I keep it face down like this but I you know I'll just sometimes flip it over to check the time and I'll see my agent my uh <clears throat> my my assistant text me go oh, something wrong and I'm like I re- okay, sorry guys I'm a fucking idiot. While I'm on stage, you text me this? Don't you put in airplane mode? Yeah. Don't get smart with me, kid. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was out of line. Uh, I was way out of I don't, line. I don't need your logical okay, answers. I'm so to, sorry. No, you're absolutely right. Dumb, I, I apologize. Dumb, I don't need your logical solutions to dumb problems. <laughs> so now that the special is out, are you? did you stop doing all those jokes the oh, second the done. special came I, out? I, I kind of stopped doing them. Uh, the second I recorded it. Yeah. Well, I still had some dates left, so I kept it for that. But 
I was like, I was prepared to let it go right away. And so are you already like way into the next one by now? You must be because... <laughs> Listen, this- I started January 2nd. Right. With getting with going up with nothing, and now yeah. what are we at? Almost February, mid-February. Mid-February, and uh, I, I think I've got about 20 minutes now. That's great. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a pretty good fucking amount of time to have in a month. So do you, is, is the idea, what's your turnaround? Like, is it? I have to be ready by June. Holy shit. Yeah. You're already shooting another special? No, no, no. I mean, ready to tour. Oh, oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. So, yeah. but what's your, what's the turnaround for, do you do a special, if you've done nine specials, you must do a special about every year or two. No, I, I've been doing them every three. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, I don't see the purpose of doing them every two years. The material, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit the material. Because you have to live with it for a long time to find yeah. the real, right. Yeah. <clears throat> and I always think back to like, my best specials were like when I had a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. And so let's go back. There's no rush. There's enough specials out there for to fill the space in the meantime. <laughs> Probably better specials even. Is your plan to – do you think you'll be a guy that just does specials until like your last uh, breath? I don't think I want to do any more specials, but I'm going to do a tenth. Yep. And then it's we'll 10. see. ten. You got to do ten. Yeah. We'll, we'll hit the nice even ten mark and then – then we'll just see what happens. I mean, but I always say these things and then, you know, they, yeah, there'll be an 11th. Then there'll be a fucking 12, you know, right. whatever there'll be. Bob Newhart told me a long time ago that what we have is a gift and that we have to share the gift. Mm-hmm. It would be completely selfish of us to not share this gift with the world. And he said, there's no, there's no due date on this. You share it until the, until you die. I loved his, the way that, the first time that I had heard like a legend, this is many, 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 many years ago, I wrote an article for Wired and I talked to a bunch of different comedians like him and Stephen Wright. This is like before podcasts mm-hmm. even, before I did a podcast. So maybe it was even 15 years ago and just sort of talking to them about their process and to hear this legendary comic that he would, because he does these long act out pieces. And oh, he goes, yeah. oh yeah. So I would, I would build in a bailout point, several bailout points. And if I could get to that bailout point and people were still engaged, I would go to the next bailout point. Mm -hmm. But if I started to lose people, then I would just bail out. So he essentially would write like five or six endings for every bit. And depending on how in the audience was, he could just get out at the perfect moment. Wow. Uh, I don't write that way. but I He's like got a a really brilliant mind and knows how to economize words uh, uh, perfectly. Yeah. So uh, 10 years ago, I, he, I was lucky enough for him to choose me out of everybody. He chose me to be the representative for the younger generation of comics yep. and be there for him at his induction for the 50, 50 years in film and television. Mm-hmm. And I was like so taken aback and and, and honored. And, and then so he has this private dinner after and I get invited and it's like me, and, and I'm sitting at a table with Peter Scolaro. Oh, Peter Scolari, I know Peter. Peter's uh, great. From uh, Bosom Buddies. Yes, and uh, Fred Willard, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, wow, this is. So, and Don Rickles is there, and Don was one of my idols. Yeah. And uh, so Bob gets up to tell a story, and there's this woman there. I won't say who she was. <clears throat> she was the wife of a very um, uh, well-to-do TV producer, mm-hmm. and she was drunk and kind of obnoxious. So Bob's about – he's like, I want to thank everybody. I want to tell you a quick story. And then she's like, is this going to be funny, Bob? Oh, Bob, is this going to be a funny story? No. Is this going to be funny? And then everyone's like, the fuck is and, – and then Bob just goes, why don't we all find out together? <laughs> and I was like, that's fucking perfect. It must have killed. It destroyed. And I'm like, it was 
perfect. <laughs> like, See? He made he took a flaw and made it like it's sort of that's what I love about comedy is like spinning gold out of the flaws, like spinning yeah. magic out of the flaws. Like and, I would have been like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, but he needed that moment to happen in order to <laughs> engage the audience, yep. pull them in, have like this amazing experience. And if it hadn't happened, you wouldn't have remembered that moment. Right. So in a way, that's sort of the the beauty part about about being able to be in the moment like that is that it, you, th- those imperfect moments become like the oh, magical yeah. part. It's, it's how we save them. Is Jay Mandiam opening for you some on the road? Yeah, this weekend. I in, love Jay. He's such a sweet guy. In, uh, he's Houston. really funny. He's a, he's a good guy. He's a good kid. Yeah, he really is. Uh, he's worked hard. He has, and I you know I met him at the comedy store, and he did at midnight, and he he had an amazing first time he was on the show. He had an amazing first show. It was really great. I'm glad. I'm glad you're yeah. touring with him. He's a good kid. Is there anything else you want to promote while you're here? Um. Deported. Deported. No, that's over. That's over. That's That's the special now. That's the special. You can watch that on Amazon Prime Video. I will be coming to a town near you soon. Yeah. By the way, I'm in Grand Rapids coming up. Grand Rapids is a fun comedy it's like town. A Gilda Radner comedy. Festival yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Gilda's Laugh Fest. It's a fucking. Have you done it? I have. It's great. I'm doing that on I think March 8th or something. Oh, you'll love it. Let me confirm the date. It is a March eighth. It is. It is a good. It is a good festival and a good town for comedy. I think you'll actually. I think yeah, you'll actually love it. And I just wanted to deported is the name of your special, not a thing I was just saying. Right, right. I think Chris Hardwick is suggesting that I get deported. I don't think that's what I was. Uh, I, I. I'm not 100% put away sure. that white pointy I hat, Mister. I don't have a hat on. That I is get it. You're from Memphis. Stop it. No, don't, I will not build a wall. Don't use Tennessee against me. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, I can't thank you enough for being Thanks, here. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it's so, it's it. It's always so good to see you. And, and one of those, it's one of my favorite things about the, the you know, always going to Montreal. It's like the shows are fun, but it's just like. It's the hang that I love the It's the hang. It's going oh to that, that one hotel with the round bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That the, everyone the after their shows just like gets ready. Like, oh, my God. It's like a, you it's know. It's great. And then. You want to talk to people, but then you get distracted so quick. Yeah. Hey, man. Oh, hey, sorry. Hey, man. And then they and then disappear. Everybody fucks off on each other. Yeah. And but nobody takes it personal. No, Nobody's no, no. Like, hey, no. you didn't come back. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's nice. It's fun to be around everybody. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks it's good for to see having you. me. This castle is wonderful. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I really want to see more of it. Yeah, I can. I'll show you around. Yeah, we got to put some secret door. We need the secret doors. This feels like a secret room. This it was. This was a secret room. This wasn't a room. This was a it, 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 oh, like we put the walls up, but it's concrete under here. It was just like a there's there's like a, there was a, a patio above here, so this was just like underneath the patio, and so we punched through and made this the podcast room. This is great. It's our little podcast the bomb floor shelter. Is cool. I mean, this is from Meltdown Comics. I don't know if you ever performed at Meltdown. No, uh, that was your thing. It was well. Joan and Kumail did their thing there, and then we uh, built like a, we programmed the other nights of the week. But they started it <clears throat> like they started doing comedy there on Wednesday nights, and so it was just like, oh, why isn't there comedy here seven nights a week? That was Nerd Melt. That was yes, 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 and that's yes, gone yes. now, right? Yeah, Meltdown got he he got rid of it. Uh, Gaston, it it closed. It's not. It's, it's, it's now he's gassed off. <laughs> hey, hello. We did it. We started with a pun. That's right. And we landed with a pun. That's right. You know who my favorite rapper was big pun. All right, guys. Hey look guys, come on. You're, come on. It's fun. <laughs> Good night. Good night. ID ten T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants. 
that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. It's win or go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The GOAT. Stream free on Amazon Freebie or Prime Video.